Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. It's good if you keep that passage open. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8 this morning. I have to say, Romans chapter 8 would be one of my favourite chapters. But like your own children, you really shouldn't have one favourite, should you? Um, I mean, God inspired the whole Bible. So Leviticus 14 and 15, they're, you know, they're just as inspired as Romans chapter 8. But I have, to, I have to confess, Leviticus 14 and 15 don't really get on my favourite list, whereas Romans 8 does. Have you, have you ever read Romans 8 before? It, it, you have. Then you'll know it starts with... Uh, not in the reading, no. We, we picked it up halfway through. Let me tell you, Romans 8 begins with these wonderful, absolutely brilliant words. There is therefore now no condemnation... For those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that not good news? That's what gets us to come together. Because there is no condemnation for me. And I deserve it. But because I'm in Christ and because of his work and because of his forgiveness, no condemnation falls on me. Many years ago I worked in Holy Trinity in Adelaide. That was the church I was working at. And I used to ride my bicycle to work in the morning and ride home in the evening. And um, one afternoon, I jumped on my bike and was going home, just climbing North Terrace. Climbing is uh, a term they use in South Australia for going up North Terrace. Everybody else sees Adelaide as flat. But for a South Australian, that's a bit of a hill. So I was climbing North Terrace, got to a set of traffic lights on my bike, and I was doing what you see the cyclists do sometimes, you know, that clever way they can just hold it still. Yeah, I couldn't do that. So what I did was I slowly crept through. Now, the light technically was red as I went through. Um, of course, it was safe. There was nobody walking across. However, a policeman who was on the other side of the intersection noticed that I'd gone through on what I would have called sunset green. Um, <laughs> he noticed me go through and he pulled me over. And I thought, you've got to be kidding. Pulling me over on a bike. So he pulled me over and he said, um, I noticed you went through a red light. I said, oh, yeah, but it was just so it was safe to get ahead of the cars. And, and he said, yeah, well, the rule for a bike is the same as a car. You can't go through a red light. So he pulled out his, his pad and started to write me a ticket. I said, you're kidding. And he said, it was a red light. I said, okay, could you do it quickly for me? And he said, pardon? I said, well, it's just that I'm a minister in that church and if anybody who goes to church sees me getting a ticket. <laughs> so he went, certainly. What was your name? And it took for forever to write it out. You can imagine by the end of it what a happy mood I was in. I rode home. Well, actually, I didn't ride home because what he did after he'd written the ticket was he bent down to my tyres, pressed the valves and let the air out of both of them so I had to walk the bike home. I was such a happy chap when I got home and I went in and Belinda greeted me and she said, what happened? And I said, I got this and put the thing on the fridge. And as I noticed, in South Australia, when you get given one of these things, it's called an expiation notice. <laughs> now, those of you who are theologically informed or maybe criminals from South Australia <laughs> will know that what it means is there is a debt that you owe to the state because of your crime. If the debt is paid, no record will be made against your name. You'll be set free. Well, not free, 
you have to pay. But no record will be kept. The reason I knew what expiation meant was because I grew up back in, well, another century <laughs> when we used to talk about the expiation, the work that Christ had done for us. He is our expiation. He is our propitiation. He has taken the penalty I deserve. And therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I'm off the hook. That Sunday I went to church and I said to the congregation, you may have noticed if you're walking past the other day that a policeman and I um, had opportunity to converse on North Terrace. And I've got an expiation notice. Everybody laughed. Thank you for that. And then I said, if anyone would like to pay it, you can and get me off the hook. Nobody came forward. <laughs> Christ came forward for me in a debt that was far greater than that one that I could pay. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the way chapter 8 ends is there is no separation. And again, you don't have the words, but you probably know them, don't you? Neither height nor depth, nor angels, nor powers, nor principalities, neither anything in heaven or on earth can ever separate us from the love of Christ, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It begins with no condemnation, it ends with no separation, and there are commentators who've written on this chapter who've said, and in the middle is this great spirit-given, victorious Christian life. I don't know how they get that when you read what Paul says in verse 18. Turn down and look. See how it begins? The sufferings we have can't be compared to the glory that will come. Yes, there is glory coming. And yes, there is no condemnation. And no, there is nothing that can separate us. But you know what? The Christian life, the way that a disciple goes, will be in this world one that involves suffering. And there is suffering. There will be suffering for anyone who wants to walk in the same footsteps as Jesus. There will be hard times ahead. So for our confirmees this morning, I'm so encouraged when I hear the interviews. The best part of the confirmation service, well, maybe the prayers are pretty good too, but it's great to hear from people who've come to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they want to stand up and say, I want you to be with me in this. I repent of my sins. I turn away from the patterns of this world. I want you to know as a church that I want to walk away from the evil desires of this world and be with you in fellowship, in partnership and in mission with what God's given us to do. It's so encouraging, isn't it? Please be encouraged and take the opportunity over morning tea this morning to encourage the three who were confirmed. It's a good thing to do. It's a great thing to do. It's so encouraging, but it will be tough. So Andrew and Kate and Maddie, it will be tough. The apostle writes in verse 18, there will be suffering, but he also says, I consider that our present sufferings aren't worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Whatever suffering or pain or frustration or disappointment any child of God endures now, that will seem as nothing, nothing, when we compare it to what God has ahead for us. Isn't that wonderful news? 
We will be redeemed. But we will have suffering in the present. That's a reality you need to know. Back in the 1970s when I was a young man and going along to lots of rallies, in 1979 I went to the Billy Graham crusade. Did anybody get to that? It was an incredible experience for me. At Randwick Racecourse, Billy Graham got together the largest crowd that had ever been assembled in Australia. In fact, it's only been beaten by the Olympic Games. An incredible crowd where he called people to come forward. And people went forward in their tens of dozens to receive Christ, to understand what it is to be a disciple. I was absolutely gobsmacked. And people went... I think expecting that their lives would be transformed and all their problems would go. But Billy made it very clear that that wouldn't be the case and that there would be hard times ahead and they would need to be shown a few things, how to read the Bible, how to pray, and that counsellors would help them with that. And it was, it's been stamped in my mind that whenever we call people to understand the faith, the Christian message... You need to know it will be tough. It's not the thing that will solve all your problems in this world now, but it is the thing that has the answer to all problems in this world. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. Rome was being governed at the time by a Caesar who did not like the Jews or the Christians, and so he was persecuting them. He saw Christians as being a strange sect that belonged to the Jewish religion. And he didn't understand how you could only have one God. Why wouldn't you have the dozens that Rome had? And in fact, why wouldn't you have him <laughs> as your God? And if you didn't, there was persecution for you. And Paul writes to this church and he says, you will suffer. But let me say to you, brothers and sisters, as we suffer, we do so because of Jesus. Let me say that again. Our suffering is because the pattern he set is a pattern that involves suffering. Jesus Christ didn't suffer so that we wouldn't suffer. Jesus suffered so that when we do suffer, we would actually be more like him. So when you suffer, rejoice. Rejoice because you know that you are being connected with Christ. Rejoice because you, you, know, you are being identified with him. Rejoice because you know that it will make you like him. And that's the footstep for the Christian. I remember too when they introduced at Kurong um, and other places, those what would Jesus do bracelets. You ever see those? WWJD, what would Jesus do? I think the idea was, here's a good thing to remind people as they face questions in life of, gee, I wonder what Jesus would do now. I don't know that they ever expected that the answer might be he would suffer at this point. Therefore, you should too. In fact, none of the people I knew who wore them ever thought about that. And yet that, if you want to be like Jesus, that's what you should expect. You want to be like Jesus? You should expect suffering. And that's what Paul says will come. Paul knew it. Let me read to you a little bit, uh, sort of a paraphrase um, from 2 Corinthians where he summarises what's happened to him. 39 times lashed with a whip, three times beaten with a rod, stoned, three times shipwrecked, a night and a day adrift at sea, 
frequently in danger, danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, even danger from those who call themselves Christians. In toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and in exposure. 2 Corinthians 11. Paul, following Jesus, suffered. Sounds like a great sermon. I bet you're glad you came this morning, didn't you? <laughs> I'm a Christian and I'm going to be told how I have to suffer. The thing is, too often the Christian life is presented as it's victory and joy and it's wonderful and all your hopes are gone. That's the presentation. We know it's not the reality. And my fear for those who are confirmed, my fear for those who are struggling with their faith, is that you think there might be some truth in that, and there is not. The truth is, there is no condemnation. The truth is, there is no separation. And the truth is, that as we live in this world, it'll be tough. It will be hard. And I believe it will get harder. I believe for Christians in Australian society, it's getting harder and harder. We are seeing decisions made by our governments which will make it harder for us to express what we believe publicly. That's not the Australia I grew up in as a younger person, but it's the Australia of today. Even this week, I was called by the ABC and interviewed, and when I explained the Christian view on issues of sexuality, I could hear the journalist laughing at me, and I feared what might end up in the press. Why? Because I'm holding to what Jesus said. That will involve suffering. This Thursday evening at Abbotsley, you'll see the notice in your blue leaflet, Don Carson is speaking on what it should be like, what it will be like for Christians living in a secular age. Don Carson is an amazing theologian, thinker, speaker, if you have the opportunity, come. Please come. It says tickets are at Eventbrite. That's how we know how many chairs to put out. If you can't afford to come, come. It'll only be a donation on the night. There's a plug. But listen to what Paul says. He considers our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that's ahead. And that, I want you to know, despite the fact that the world, the creation is groaning. Did you, did you read that? It's there just a few verses on. The creation is groaning, waiting for this glory to be revealed, this glory that outweighs suffering, this glory that belongs to us, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. 8.22, the whole creation has been groaning, waiting as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Yes, creation is waiting. Childbirth is something I've never been through. But Belinda has. I was there when our children were born. I remember the groans and I remember the joy. So many think that global warming or carbon footprints or ozone layers or pollution or erosion is killing our planet. Our planet is not in death throes. Our planet is in birth pangs. And it is looking forward to the day, Christian, when you are glorified. Is that not mind-boggling? If you're just thinking of our planet, you're thinking too small. Because not only is our planet waiting for that, 
so are the stars, the galaxies, the universes. They are waiting, groaning, as in childbirth, waiting for that moment when we will be revealed with Jesus. And Paul goes on, we groan. We groan. The next verse. We groan as Christians, waiting for that wonderful day. So Maddie, Kate and Andrew, thank you for standing up this morning and reminding us that God has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. But the groaning doesn't end there. You see, we've been called out of darkness into this wonderful light and the glimmer of light that we have, part of that is the fact that even God's spirit is groaning with us and for us. So that when we come to prayer and we don't have the words to express the agony we feel, when we don't have to, the words to express the desires that we have within us, guess what? The Holy Spirit groans in a way that God hears and understands for us. Isn't that fantastic news? That when the going gets tough, we have God's Spirit who knows our heart, our mind and our situation so well, so intimately that he groans on our behalf and expresses to the Father precisely what we need every time, every single time. Maddie, Kate and Andrew, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you with these words from Romans chapter 8, that despite the groans and despite the times that are tough, and there will be many, there is no condemnation for us when we're in Christ Jesus and there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And as we wait for that wonderful day, even God's Spirit who is with us is groaning on our behalf, joining in our groans and echoing the groans of creation because these are the birth pangs and there's a wonderful joy ahead. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this promise in your word that is so real and true that despite hardship and suffering and trials and persecution, we know that you forgive us and do not condemn us when we're in Jesus. And you love us and will not allow anything to separate us from you. So hear our prayer, hear our groans as we go through this world, this life, waiting for you to liberate and free us and glorify us. Amen.